Welcome back to the Money Bear Podcast. Today, I am doing something a little bit different. You guys may have seen this story in some emails, or if you've come to our free webinar, I've talked about my friend Cassie, who took the Lazy Investors course a little over a year ago, back in, I want to say you were in the first cohort, right? I think I bought it in maybe March of 2022. And then it took me a few months to go through it. I really appreciated the drip Mm -hmm. of the course. So the seven modules kind of came weekly. So it was, I could do it at my own pace and it took me a couple of months to get to it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. So then it's been a year and a half since you've taken it then, which is crazy. So anyway, you guys can probably tell where I'm going with this. Cassie had DM'd me probably about a month ago. And you've DM'd me a couple times since taking the course and doing all that. And we actually got the pleasure of meeting when I was on my road trip. But you DM'd me and you're like, Chloe, I'm a half millionaire. And I was like, what? That's so exciting. And I loved it too. You're like, I'm sure it'll change because like the market goes up and down. And I was like, first, I love that you know that. And you're just like, not a big deal. I can still celebrate this win. But you essentially increased your net worth by about 140 thousand dollars in a year and a half. So I was like, holy crap, congratulations. That's so cool. And do you want to come on the Money Bear and kind of talk about your money story? And she was like, yes, let's do it. So I'm excited (laughs) to kind of also hear more about your story because I haven't heard all of your story. And I think people will relate for sure the parts that I do know about your story. So welcome, Cassie. Unlike my often influencer guests or people who are on the internet, I was going to say, tell us who you are in real life and tell us who you are on the internet. But what do you do? Where do you live? Tell us a little bit about Cassie first. Sure. So let's see. So my name's Cassie. I was born and raised and then still currently live in Boise, Idaho. Boise is the hotness these days. So I've really fully leaned into the grumpy local persona. (laughs) Full of grumpy local. I have lived several different places. Like I kind of bounced around from Seattle, Denver, Chicago. You kind of throughout my 20s and early 30s, but then landed kind of back home in Boise, Idaho. Mm -hmm. Professionally, I do have kind of like a corporate job. I don't make money on the internet. (laughs) So I'm an executive recruiter for a healthcare specific management consultancy that's also based out of Chicago. You can see the one element decor I'm willing to put into my home office for them. (laughs) I love it. She's Um, got the, if you're not watching the video, she's got the Chicago flag right behind her. Yes. Sorry, auditory listeners. No, you're good. And so I do that professionally. On the internet, I am an outdoors woman generally and tend to post things from kind of where I am. You know, I like to hike. I like to backpack. I like to ski. I like to cross country ski and do a few other things like boating and fishing. I'm an unlucky angler is what I like to tell people. Wait, Um, what's an angler? A fisherman, like a fisherman. I was like, I feel like I should know what that is. And I have no idea. (laughs) I'm very unlucky. Uh, I'm not a good angler. So, but I like to tell people that I'm an unlucky angler. And then just to be able to, I like to read a lot. Very ambivert personality. Definitely in the middle. 
I love it. And I remember when I got to Boise last year, I was so surprised by how friendly it is for all of those activities. It's like such an outdoorsy place. And maybe we shouldn't talk about that since it's had such a rush of people coming to live there now. I actually read, I want to say it was it was probably a little after I was there last year. I read an article that said that Boise's housing market is the most overpriced housing market in the country, which is wild. And I remember getting on Zillow and being like, these prices are like Colorado prices. It's crazy. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's, yeah. And did you buy? I can't remember. Do you buy or do you rent? So I own a home. Okay. To get into the neighborhood I lived in, I did play a little bit, like kind of the real estate game. So yeah. bought a home seven years ago, mm-hmm. did a little work to it, was able to sell that home and then get into the neighborhood I really wanted to be in kind of with the equity you know, of the first home that awesome. resulted in. I am not a real estate investor. Like she's a lazy I'm, investor. <laughs> I'm a lazy investor. Like this whole real estate, buy this, rent, flip a house, do that. That is so not me. Mm-hmm. I am not into that whatsoever. So I just want your listeners out there to know, even though I said that, that's not my strategy. <laughs> yes, that's not the path that she has decided to lean into in her journey and your path towards early retirement. Because if I remember correctly, that was something that was of interest of you too. So we'll talk about that as well. But no, I was curious just because with the housing market, I'm sure that because you were able to get in seven years ago, it's probably doing pretty well for you. But then it's if you sold, where would you live, right? <laughs> my parents don't have a basement. So even that's not an option. Yeah, yeah I, I have no desire to do any kind of like real estate transaction action right now uh, with our market as overinflated as it is, like we mm-hmm. wouldn't be able to get into another place. And I'm also not willing to take on a mortgage with an 8% interest rate. So yeah. that's not happening. It's wild. It's going to be interesting to see kind of what the real estate market does in the next couple of years, honestly. So, but anyway, I love it. So I love that you put that disclaimer in there of like, guys, I'm not a real estate. Do not confuse me for a real estate investor. She's she's a lazy investor because she's spending all her time doing the stuff that she loves to do, not spending time fixing toilets. So I kind of want to hear a little bit about what was money like for you growing up? I thought about this a lot. We were pretty solidly middle class ish. Mm -hmm. So my father was a high school teacher. And then he painted houses in the summer, Mm. especially in the state of Idaho. We like to pay our teachers at the poverty level rather than pay them a living wage. And so my dad became like an independent contractor, specifically a house painter in the summers, nights, weekends, kind of a thing to make like additional income for our family. My mom was like, she did different things. Like she stayed at home for a while And then she also worked retail. She worked in a coffee shop. She worked in like a stationary store. Mm -hmm. And then she was also like a personal assistant for a high producing real estate agent. That was kind of when I was like elementary school, junior high ish. Mm -hmm. So my mom had like a number of kind of like odd jobs here and there. I know in the course you asked a lot about kind of like money memories. Yeah. I painted houses on one of the summer like college kid crews one summer. And I remember having this like very visceral reaction to it's Southern Idaho. We're painting houses. It's a hundred degrees outside and like really experiencing and then witnessing like how hard my father worked for our 
family. Mm-hmm. I'm even finding myself like getting a little bit emotional about it oh. right now because it really was like this kind of like, holy shit yeah. moment. Yeah. I also don't feel like my parents did a super good job on the money education front. Yeah. Um, I think they maybe like, I remember my dad sitting down and paying the bills and like being very responsible with money. But I also remember him saying the things which like now looking back on it, I'm really horrified that he would like hide money in my parents' checking account. So my mom like couldn't overdraw the account. Mm-hmm. And I now find that to be like, very old school and kind of misogynistic in its way. Yeah. Uh, very different time. Um, that's so that, interesting that out of all the things to teach you, that's what he revealed to you. <laughs> it was, yeah. And it's like, my parents are very sweet and I know that part of it was like a joking way. And this is sure. like a different time, right? Like yeah. my parents were married in 73. They've been married for 50 years. So, you know, it's like a different time, but those are some of the money memories that I have is like just seeing how hard my father worked, kind of hearing this, like seeing that it was like this very like male responsibility. Yeah. In a way. And those were the things that kind of informed, especially my own perspective of, oh, I'm never going to have that be mm-hmm. the case where, you know, there's some man in my life and that person makes the money decisions you know, kind of for our household. That was never yeah. going to be a situation that I was going to get into in my life. But I didn't know anything about investing. Like I knew about checkings and checking and savings accounts. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's really, that's kind of all I knew. Yeah, which to be fair, I mean, some people don't even have that level of education and understanding the different accounts that are available, even from a cash flow perspective. Was there any one resounding lesson that they tried to teach you, you know, like avoid credit card debt or don't take out student loans or, you know, save your money? Like for me, it was always my mom would say, pay yourself first. And I never understood what that meant. It was just like, yeah, okay, you know, moving on. My folks were very like responsibilities focused. Mm -hmm. Like I am a hundred million percent certain that they paid off their house early. Mm, Yeah. And like all of the bills were paid. So they were very like responsibilities focused. So it Mm -hmm. would be like pay off your mortgage early. Don't get into credit card debt. Make sure you're paying that off every month. You're responsible for the light bill and the gas bill and the garbage water bill and whatever. So it was like very like responsibilities focused Mm -hmm. education. Okay. That makes sense. So it's kind of like, you've got to prepare for the fact that you're going to be like, once you're an adult, you're going to be responsible for all of these things. So you knew that was going to be part of being an adult, but didn't necessarily have any of the strategies to make that happen. Right. Absolutely. My dad was like, you go to college and you get a job and you get off my health plan and you get off of my cell phone bill. I can't wait. Please hurry up and do that. (laughs) Totally. Totally. I love it. So in a loving way. Yeah, of course. So when you kind of started working and started making money, whether that was in high school or college, what was kind of your approach to money in? Did you save it? Did you have a system or you just kind of like money in, money out? I definitely didn't have a formal system. I don't have a formal budget today. There's just no way that you could get me to actually do that. I have a system. I don't have a budget. I'd be happy to tell you what my system is. So one of the other things that like really informed my perspective was that like, especially because like 
I saw and witnessed like lots of boomers growing up. Yeah. But I also saw like lots of boomers that like the woman didn't work and didn't have her own assets mm-hmm. and ended up staying with, you know, some dog because he worked and owned the assets and all of those kinds of things. And I didn't want that to happen to me. Mm-hmm. And so I also did know that I'm going to be blunt here. I want to be rich. Hell yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. So <laughs> I did start investing relatively early. I just was clueless about how to do it. Mm-hmm. So I was probably, I don't know, mid twenties, call it 25 ish best yeah. guess when I did hire a financial advisor. And I know you're going to ask me about getting fired by him. Um, <laughs> we will definitely talk about totally that. Fine. So I did start making some investments. It wasn't automated. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Like I was like, okay, you get the match on your 401k. And then sometimes I send some money to this investor guy and I'm going to get rich somehow. Yeah. Absolutely <laughs> clueless. How did you even know to do that? I think somebody in their mid twenties, even knowing to hire a guy or find a guy, do you know what like led you to do that? Did you have somebody saying like, Hey, Cassie, if you want to be rich, this is what you have to do. Okay. So I don't know exactly, but there were two very influential people in my life. One, I was dating somebody quite a bit older than I, so it could have been that person. I also had my first real job manager was this woman named Zoe. Hmm. She herself was older. She taught me so much about who I am, like professionally, as well as some like personal things. Yeah. And I think it was also partly Zoe that Mm kind of helped me get started on a track that, again, a totally clueless track, but ultimately an like an idea, like like, an idea. Yeah. Because like I said, I mean, sometimes just even having the idea that's something that you should be looking at is it's wild. It's like outside of our realm of possibility or imagination. So I love that even though we have a fun story to tell about your financial advisor and what you discovered when you decided to take it on, it still got you started. It still gave you that leg up so that by the time you did decide to start learning how to invest yourself, like you did that for yourself. So it's a, it's a great thing. And I love that it was through a mentor, like somebody or potentially, you don't know necessarily if it was her or not, but I resonate with that a lot. I feel like I owe a lot of my career successes and confidence. And even, I don't know how I specifically was like, like for me, when I decided, oh, it's time to figure out this money thing out. It was just because I was so tired of being stressed about it. And I was like, dumber people than me have figured this out before. There is gotta be a way for me to figure this stuff out. And so then the Googling began, you know, of what do I do with $60,000 of debt? So it's always interesting to hear, like, how did somebody get directed into one path or another? So we had the financial advisor guy and you started that mid-20s. Were you good at naturally saving or were you more of a spender? I have always been pretty good at saving. Okay. Yeah. Like how I was raised was like always this kind of like responsibility focused Mm -hmm. forward upbringing. Mm -hmm. And I definitely think my parents emphasized like don't get into debt, be out of debt, that kind of a thing. I certainly feel very differently than 
they do about it because I don't think that there's debt has morality to it whatsoever. Um, But I was very much raised kind of in a more financially conservative manner. So Mm -hmm. I wasn't a a bad saver by any means. I don't think I ever lived kind of like out and beyond my means. Like I never had to pay off like a significant amount of credit card debt. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. And so once you got into the workforce and you're like, all right, I'm going to get a guy, I'm going to do this. You mentioned you had a system kind of of how you manage your money and you still have a system on how you manage your money. Tell us what that system is, because I love that you mentioned that because you do not have to have a budget in order to succeed at your finances. You have to have a system and that system has to work for you. Maybe that's going to include a budget. Maybe that's not going to include a budget. So Cassie, what's kind of your system, Ben? Okay. So my system is, <laughs> I love it. You're like getting excited. She's like leaning forward. She's like, all right, I've been waiting for this. <laughs> I know. It's also so dorky. So I currently have a partner. Mm-hmm. We do not combine all of our finances um, because that was never something that was going to work for me. It was very upfront. We're not partnering up if we have to partner our money. So okay, don't even ask. Did that come from witnessing your parents' relationship with money and how they navigated it? Was that kind of the root of that? Probably that. And then the story I told you about like the like boomer females that ended up getting stuck with their, you know, partner that made the household income and things like that. I just never wanted that to happen to me. So there's a system for that as well. Yep. In that it's like an income sharing system. We do ours by percentages because it's going to be really hard to make exactly the same amount of money with the same amount of benefits as a partner. So what we do is we put a certain percentage of our income into like a shared account and then the rest is ours individually. Mm-hmm. So for my individual money, I keep kind of an emergency fund. It's kind of a fuck you fund so that I could quit my job at a moment's notice if something like really ticks me off. But it's uh, so I keep 10,000 bucks in a high yield checking account. So I'm with a small local credit union that has like an amazing percentage yield for a checking account. So I keep 10,000 bucks in there at all times. Okay. And the people will want to know what account is that? What's the bank? Oh, it is Capital Educators Federal Credit Union. Wow. Never heard of that one. I love it. It's in (laughs) Boise, Idaho. I do think you have to be an Idaho resident to qualify. Okay. okay. All right. Local Uh, representation. I love it. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Local strong. So the 10,000 is like that maxes out the high yield in the checking account. Okay. And so then anything left over that I want for an emergency fund, I keep at, I use Ally to get like the high yield savings account. And then what I do is I take, so my paycheck comes in and I have gotten on board with your mom of pay yourself first. So what I've automated to go into my investments comes out and then I kind of like pay for a few things. And essentially I live off the difference between 10 and $11,000. Okay. Also, that's very, you mean like anything that's above $11,000 is what you live off of? Or you're saying the $1,000? I live in between $10,000 and $11,000 in my checking account. So if I've paid myself first, and let's say I have 
$11,138.50. I take that $138.50 and it gets invested additionally Okay. after my automated investment goes. And then I live between 10 and 11,000. So you're telling me you have $1,000 of expenses a month. That's it. I mean, somewhere in between those two things, because like my mortgage and uh, the, the bills are coming out of the joint account. So that is like a separate system. And so what I'm doing individually is I'm just living somewhere in between ten dollars and $11,000 at any time. Okay. I got it. So let me just yeah. repeat it back so that I, I make sure I understand. So then my audience also understands. So essentially we've got the automation of however much percentage that goes into the joint account. And that has its own system that we've kind of already talked about. Then when you get paid, there's an automation that goes directly into your investments, the a la pay yourself first. Correct. And then anything that's left over goes into that high yield checking account. And if you're like, oh, there's a little bit more here than normal. There's $11,500. You're like, I'm taking that $500 and I'm investing that too. So we've gotten an aggressive investor over here and I love it, but you wouldn't have increased your net worth so quickly had you not been. So it makes sense. Yes. Um, and then really you just live between like essentially anything above $10,000, but below $11,000 is like, you get to spend it as you want because your utilities and your mortgage and like the essential expenses are coming out of that joint expense account likely. So then it's, that's your play money. Correct. Okay. It's an anti-budget, my friends. So I love that because essentially that's what it is. It's like, what I always tell people is unless you have severe overspending issues or you are spending more than what you make or you just cannot seem to get a hold on your expenses, this is like the ideal situation for most people is don't focus on every single dollar. Every single dollar doesn't matter. Who cares if you spent $5 on coffee today? Who cares if you know went and bought a record? Nobody cares. What we care about is how much are you saving and investing? Are you reaching your savings goals? Are you reaching your investing goals? Because that's what we want to keep track of. So once you can get to that level, it's a beautiful, easy, lazy system. So fantastic. I love that. How long have you been doing that method? Well, I would say generally forever, but okay. the specificity of it, yeah. I created this specific system when I took the lazy investors course. Awesome. I love it. I'm going to give myself a little credit for the, a little bit of it. It sounds like that's exactly what you've been doing. Just maybe a little bit more like systematic. Essentially. And then I did download like your budget sheet and started to fill it out. And I was like, oh shit, no, it's not. <laughs> and that's what not I tell me. people. That's why I tell work. people. Yeah. Some people cannot work, especially if you struggle with ADHD or you struggle with just anxiety around using a spreadsheet or tracking every dollar. That's why I'm like, it's okay if this method doesn't work for you. I'm a data nerd. It worked for me for a while, but I don't do that anymore. I, I just focus on, am I saving and investing enough? Is it in line with what I want to be doing? And then I don't worry about the rest. So that's good news for people who are like, I'm not going to track every dollar, Chloe. <laughs> It's too much yeah. for me. I get like really overwhelmed with being like, okay, well, what do I spend on my haircut every yeah. six weeks? And how do I like accommodate that? And, you know, how do I go see my friends and travel? And what are my charitable contributions and things like that? I find it to be tedious. really over tedious, kind of overwhelming. So I just need like guardrails in which to live in between. Mm -hmm. And that 
is what works for me. I love it. Awesome. Cool. So let's talk a little bit about kind of what brought you to the Lazy Investors course and then what kind of changed after you decided to take it. Because we know we've already given like a cookie crumble of the fact that she got fired by her financial advisor and she increased her net worth by 140K in a year and a half. So kind of take us to the moment that led you up to, you know what, I think I want to invest in this course. Where were you at? What made you decide to do that? Yeah. So there's a little bit of sadness to this story, but so my partner was diagnosed with cancer in 2021 and it was a rare and aggressive disease. And there's nothing like a cancer diagnosis in your household to really remind you of your need to get your shit together. Right. (laughs) So, you know, legally, financially, emotionally, logistically, there was a a lot that went into, you know, this cancer diagnosis treatment. We had to end up traveling for treatment, moving to another state to get the right treatment. So it was a mess. I think that did catalyze me a bit in thinking about things like, okay, oh gosh, I could be on my own unexpectedly and want, I mean, I've always wanted to be prepared for that. Like I, you know, shared that story with you of, I didn't want to be that boomer woman that gets stuck. So I've always been independent, have always, you know, been financially planning for that, but really recognized that I wanted to get everything together, like legally and logistically and financially, and recognize that maybe not exactly knowing what my money was doing and what I was doing with it wasn't the right course for me. Mm -hmm. Chloe, I found you on Instagram. I think like through somebody I follow posted something who posted something like, I think I just went down kind of like the social media rabbit rabbit hole. hole. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then was like, yeah, this makes sense. And then as I started to consume that, you know, you consume content and then more content is kind of pushed your way, et cetera. So I did look at other courses. Like I looked at the Dow Jane's, I found their suits terrifying. (laughs) I was like, I can get on board with somebody that is like dancing and twerking in running (laughs) shorts and gold toe socks. Yes. Um, like that got me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't tell you how many people say the exact same thing. And I'm like, man, I need to bring back the running shorts. I'm like, they have holes in them now, but <laughs> we're still dancing. I, I think for me, it was like specifically the gold toe socks. <laughs> um, and it was just like, whoa, that is such a cultural old reference. <laughs> like I was like, great. Okay. This is it. And I think I, as I started to follow your content, I was like, okay, I think I could do this. And then I grabbed it on like a flash sale. I love that. And I also love what you're talking about of, I mean, I don't know if love is the right word, but I felt that when you said like cancer will have this way of making you look at your life and just the fear that you felt when you were like, I don't want to end up like a boomer wife. I don't want to end up where I don't know what's happening and I don't have a plan and I'm in this vulnerable state. And it's boom, you're hit with this aggressive cancer diagnosis. And now you're faced with, did I stay true to my word? Am I on the track? Do I have the security that I said I needed to begin with? And it's like very much calling you in to be like, I got to handle this now because God forbid I have to deal with this 
at the worst case scenario, at worst timing. So the fact that you had the strength and ability to just be like, when you're traveling to other states and things like that and dealing with the headache that is the medical system in this country, you still had the ability to be like, all right, but I also have to take care of myself. I also have to make sure I'm set and let me like invest in this to then make sure, you know, that I am covered and I am on track. So kudos to you because that's not an easy thing to do. I also think Chloe, like what you are bringing you and, you know, I'm sure the Dow Janes are there too, but like <laughs> you and other like finance producers, I feel like we're a little bit like talking shit about this idea of a stuck boomer wife. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Like the resource that you are bringing into the world. I mean, that didn't exist when I was 25. When I was 25, Facebook was barely a thing. Mm-hmm. like barely a thing. So there wasn't Instagram, there wasn't content creators, like there wasn't like, look something up on Google and you right. can then go do it yourself. Like that wasn't as available. So all of the resources that I lacked as a younger woman, I mean, women couldn't even get their own credit card until what, like 76? Yeah. So like, I also want to recognize, you know, sort of, the times are so different and all women kind of stand upon the shoulders of the generations before them. And I hope that, you know, younger millennials and Gen Zers are going to be standing on my shoulders and that, you know, they are going to be better financially prepared for their own futures, you know, because of what I went through and then what, you know, my cousins and my aunts and my mothers and my grandmother like went through before me. So I just want to make sure that we are also talking about that. We're not just talking shit about this. Like, 100%. But it's like, it's we're just building situ- upon each other. Yes. It's the recognizing of every generation. We have our own battles and it's like, they had an entirely different set of battles. And yeah. as millennials, as Gen Xers, as Gen Zers, we're looking at that and saying, I don't want that. So what do I have to do to make sure that's not my circumstances? And that's the only way that change happens is by sometimes being able to, especially when you don't know what else there is. Sometimes yeah. the only way to identify what we need to do differently is to recognize what we don't want. So that's really the lens if anybody is listening and being like, they're hating on boomers. We're not trying to hate on boomers. We're, we're recognizing that, yeah, there were their own set of challenges and we wouldn't be able to do what we do now had the sacrifices made prior to us not been made. So absolutely. So you took the course. You started educating yourself on investing, took you a couple of months to get through, and then you started having conversations with your financial advisor. Tell us a little bit about how that went, Cassie. Yeah. So I was with him for probably 12 or 13 years. So this was like a very long standing relationship. I started like questioning what my investments were. Yeah what their performances were, and then the accounts in which they were held. So like, I really got onto the idea of like the Roth IRA and kind of like the, you know, rolling all of those accounts Mm -hmm. into a Roth IRA and then doing a backdoor Roth Mm -hmm. IRA. Mm -hmm. And so I realized like I had multiple accounts that I could then roll into like my single Roth IRA and just you know have that one account. Rather than so, multiples. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Rather than multiples where I was trying to figure out, okay, 
what's like the add up of all of my annual contributions across multiple accounts. Let's sure. just roll them into one. Wabing bomb. There's your 6,000 or 6,500 annual contribution and we're done. So I initially reached out to him to do an account rollover. I also worked with my CPA and knew what like I was getting into and what the tax implications were. Mm-hmm. And he was like, well, I disagree with this strategy. I was like, well, it's like my account and my money and this is what I'm going to do. So you need to do it. (laughs) Um, And then I started to ask him questions about, you know, what am I invested in? And I started discovering that I don't think he was invested in like the wrong things, but I did discover there was like 22,000 bucks in cash that Mm -hmm. just wasn't invested. And like, he started to get really heated when I was asking him these questions. And I mean, like really hot, like really emotional. And eventually it was just like, well, if you don't think I'm qualified for this, then we'll just start closing your accounts and making this really easy for you. And I was like, wow, don't you dare threaten me. You can't just like threaten to close my accounts uh, for me. And then, you know, I he got really hot. So then I kind of got hot and was reactionary in the moment and was just like, I was like, look at what I've been through the last, you know, year and a half getting a partner through cancer. I'm now trying to, you know, make sure that I'm financially secure and this is how you're treating me. Well, fine, fire me, go ahead. And then, so that's when I was like, great, I will let you know when I'm ready to roll my accounts over to Fidelity. And that's what I did. I just carved out a couple hours in the day to be on the phone with like customer service folks and got Fidelity to help me like figure out what I needed to do and just did all of the account transfers and was like, well, fuck you too. (laughs) You're like, well, if you're going to be a dick to me. And also it sounds like he was threatening you essentially when you identified the fact that I remember when we had talked about this a year ago, the reason there was $22,000 sitting in cash is because he had forgotten to reinvest the dividends, which is Uh such a rookie mistake. It's such a bizarre, of course you would have more questions after that. And he must've been defensive because you like essentially caught him in a mistake. And the Lord knows clearly that was hurting his little ego. So that's wild. And my initial reaction is, did you feel overwhelmed when you're like, I have to go now and consolidate all these accounts and call Fidelity and have those conversations? Or were you like, you know, I'm not looking forward to this, but I have a handle on it. Because that seems like a big task. I was all of the whelms. I was overwhelmed by the task. I was so ticked and Mm -hmm. underwhelmed at how I was being treated. Yeah. I definitely cried. I definitely yelled because I, I am certainly one that like gets fired up, but yeah, there were tears and being really mad. But then there was also this determined resolve eventually to just be like, well, fine. That's the way things are going to be. Then you can kiss my fees. Goodbye. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Well, and if I remember right, you were paying like 2% in fees. The fee, so I was with Wells Fargo Advisors and the fees were- Was insane. uh, Which, Chloe, is another thing that like I learned from your course was like how to kind of assess the fees as well as the certification, like the certified CHFP, is that what it Uh, is? CFP. Mm -hmm. CFP. So 
my person was not a CFP. So like, oh, I yeah. also discovered that from your course. And so, you know, after I got over like all the feels, like there was like a determined resolve to be like, okay, I'm going to get through this. You follow the steps and you can do this. Heck yes. And you did it. And now yes. look at you now. So you went from having this very heated conversation with your financial advisor to uh, essentially taking it all on yourself. And how has that gone? Like, how was the process of transferring over? How are you doing now? Are you actively managing? Are you lazy? Tell us a little bit about what you're doing now. I finally know what it means to max out your 401k and get the tax advantage of that. Yes. I think my accountant told me that year after year. And I was like, okay. You're like, I don't know. <laughs> I well, don't and know. So, so many of us think that getting our employer match is the max because it's yes. such confusing <laughs> language. And you're like, what do you mean? Like the max I'm getting the max. I'm getting my 3% employer match. And then you don't realize there's all this other opportunity to put more money away pre-tax for most people. Most people are doing traditional. So yeah, that's wild. Yes. So that is happening. So I really appreciated all of the account orders. So it was like, okay, max out the 401k. I also max out, excuse me, my HSA as my employer does offer that. Mm -hmm. They also offer an employer contribution, which is really generous and great of them. And then I do a backdoor Roth IRA that I maxed out. And then like also learned from you to like, if it's feasible to do it, as quickly as possible Mm -hmm. in the year so that all of that money just has that, you know, time in market. And then I obviously contribute to just the traditional brokerage account. Mm -hmm. I would say I'm pretty lazy, although I check it a lot. (laughs) I do the same thing. Because... Just to update my net worth. Like I always like just going in and checking, like I don't really update it if it's down. I'm like, I don't care. I'm not going to update it. (laughs) I'm only going to update it if it's up. (laughs) So I check it a lot, Mm -hmm. but it's less to worry about it and less to fiddle with it. It's more about like the encouragement. Yeah. And like, I don't know if it's like, you know, just the self-motivation. Yeah. To be like, okay, there's efficacy here. Keep going. Um, And to be able to watch like the progress I've made so I can be like, okay, stick with this is sort of like why I kind of continuously check it. Oh, I get that. And I feel like that's, it's like the keeping the excitement alive because you're in it for the long term and you're doing it aggressively. I mean, you're trying to retire. I think if I remember by 45, right? Yeah, I am. Oh, I think it's more of like a semi-retirement. Like I don't want a full retire, but I would like to have some sort of pretty big career transition or pivot around the 45-ish mark. Like if it's 44, that's fine. If it's 47, that's fine. You know, I can be a little flexible uh, with that, but definitely looking to make real significant progress and be ready to transition something career pivot wise around 45. That's so cool. And how many years is that for you? Five and a half. Five and a half, Cassie. Hell yeah. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I love it. I love the way that you like deepened your voice an octave for that one. (laughs) Five and a half. half. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, I'm not 40 yet. Okay. All right. Not yet. But I'm stoked about it. (laughs) That's right. Amazing. So how does it feel? I mean, to be on the other side 
a year and a half of changes, $140,000 net worth increase. You're managing all of your investments all by yourself. You know what you're doing. You're excited to look at your brokerage accounts. Do you think that a year and a half ago, Cassie would believe all that? I don't think so. (laughs) She'd be like, what Uh, are you doing? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so my own self-advocacy is a development area for me. This isn't easy. I do find like it is kind of an emotional thing. But Chloe, like the amount of confidence that this has built for me personally, and the amount of no, fuck you, I can totally do this. Hell yeah. It's so much more than I ever thought. If somebody had said to me like, oh, you're going to take a personal finance class that you found on the internet and like the gal dances around in gold <laughs> toe socks. Yeah. And you're everything's like... everything's not just pink. Everything is pink. It's um, <laughs> part of the course. And it would give me like the level of confidence that I have achieved in what I did and what I can do, I would be like, you're crazy. That is, Aww. that sounds like the craziest thing in the whole world. But the amount of confidence and self-belief that I have now as a result of the course and being able to achieve what I've achieved, I never thought that was humanly possible. And I see it in a lot of areas of my life too. Like in my professional work, I'm just like, when there's not a process, I'm like, oh, I'll just make one up. I can do that. I love um, that. And, you know, in my personal life, you know, anything that I am facing, I'm like, well, I mean, if I can manage my own finances, I can probably manage this. That's like making me emotional because I wish, like, I try to tell that to people. I try to get that message out of like, you don't even know how you're going to feel when you have that FU fund, when you have that emergency fund, when you are investing for yourself, when you're not afraid of retirement. And it's so good to hear that you're experiencing that and that you have experienced that. And that just makes me so excited for you. And I'm so fucking glad. And I'm so proud too, because I know what that's like. I was talking to my therapist yesterday about my journey of self-worth and my journey of finding myself and finding my strength. And I was like, you know, I don't really feel like I've come into this place that I'm in now where I do have self-worth and I do have strength and I do really stand up for myself and do what's right for myself. I was like, a lot of it started when I started to get, and I know that sounds crazy, but like a lot of it started when I started to take care of my money because taking care of our finances for ourselves is like the epitome of taking care of ourselves, like putting ourselves first and caring about us and saying like, I'm going to be the one that you could rely on. I'm going to be the one who's going to take care of you, Chloe, Cassie, like, yeah, I got you. Mm-hmm. It's the biggest act of self-love. And it's like that for me as well. It's just compounded into all these other things. Like I would have never started Clobear Money Coach if my finances were a mess. Obviously, like I would have never taken the risk of quitting my job and doing this full time. I would have never, you know, taken a year to travel around the country and figure out where I wanted to live. Like so many of these like tiny steps. And then when we even look about it from like a relationship standpoint, it's like I can think back to when I thought that the solution to my issues and the security in life was to find a partner. And it's now 
that's not even remotely a factor in yeah. me choosing a partner. It's more like they can't fuck it up. <laughs> I got all this security for myself. I got to make sure whoever I partner with in the future is not going to, you know, impact that in any way. If anything, they're just going to add to it. You know what I mean? It's huge. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I was kind of preparing for the day. Um, <laughs> like I was thinking there's like two things of self-care that I've like really done for myself, really done for myself. And it's your class and these bows nose canceling. <laughs> yes. I love that. I can't believe I spent $300 on headphones and they were the, one of the best purchases I've ever made ever. Heck yes. Especially if you ever struggle with like sensory stuff. Cause I definitely do where I get like overwhelmed or over, like a, there's just too much sensory shit going on. Right. Like I use earplugs, but I need to get some noise canceling earphones. Oh, that's a good idea. Oh. They're incredible. I travel a lot for work and they just make the plane ride so much more tolerable yeah, when yeah, you can calm. shut sh- calm, calmness of spirit. Also, they're a great signal like this and a mask says, do not talk to me, <laughs> uh, which is self-care. I, I do not want to talk to people on an airplane. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Oh my gosh. I love it. I love it too. Cause you're so friendly. Like it's funny to hear me like, do not talk to me. Fuck off everybody. I got a mask on. I got the earphones. No, it's great. I love that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, Cause I always end up sitting next to coughing guy and talkative lady on yep. a plane. And so I need those signals that say, do not talk to me. Yes. Let me read my book. Let me yeah. listen to my music. Let me do whatever it is I came here to do. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh man, Cassie, I'm just so proud of you. And I'm thankful that you came on today to share your story. And yeah, I mean, it's everything that I hope for, like in what I do on a day-to-day basis and teaching people, this is story, what you've done, how you've transformed. Like it's, that's why I do what I do. So I'm really grateful for you taking the time to come and tell your story. Chloe, I don't think there's anything that you could ask me to do in support of your business like that I would say no to because (laughs) I got so much from your class. And it's not just about the, you know, $140,000 in a net worth increase for me. It was the self-confidence, the strategic and critical thinking about money, like the education component of it, like the supporting like a woman owned business that is like lifting up other women. Like there was kind of that social component of it. So, I mean, for me, I feel like you have a true believer (laughs) and like somebody that is happy to give a testimonial at any time, because Chloe, I really do think like what you're doing and what your personal mission is Not only is it like taking care of the health of anybody that takes your class, regardless of their, you know, gender, you know, or orientation or, you know, diversity, whatever component, but or intersectional component that they have, Mm -hmm. like, I got so much more beyond that from your course. So I couldn't believe in it more. Thank you. Is there anything you want to say to somebody who is maybe Cassie a couple years ago and is, I I want to get my finances together. I want to feel what these ladies are talking about. I want to get to that point. What would you say to somebody like that? Just do it and do it now and start now. Because if I knew what I know now at 39, at right. 29, I wouldn't be working. <laughs> yeah. Be. Yeah. So like, and I really think that every little bit counts 
you know, if I have $17 and 17 cents extra a month, I still invest it because I can. And you taught me how I can invest without a minimum investment. And I still am doing it. And it's like, you can see the difference that it makes even in a short amount of time. Well, and that small amount too, like how you were talking about checking the brokerage account just like excites you and keeps you going. That tiny transfer, the $10, the $5, the $17, that keeps you excited because every time you transfer, it feels good. So even if you're, I just second everything that Cassie said is like, whatever that first step is for you today, get started because those tiny moves, the like checking your bank account, the figuring out where your 401k is invested, like the little moves, they add up into something so much bigger. And you're always going to wish you started today. You're like always going to wish that you started today. It doesn't matter if you decide to start tomorrow or if you decide to start in five years, you're going to wish that this moment when you were listening to this podcast and we were calling you in, you're going to wish you had done it today. So I love it. Thank you for getting me all amped up, man. This is like (laughs) filled my heart, filled my cup. Usually we'll ask like, where can they find you? So, you know, we won't send a bunch of people to stalk your personal account, but you kind of already told us your first money memory, the painting houses, unless there was another one. Is there anything you're obsessed with right now? Oh my gosh, that's the best reaction. What is does it? it? Does it have to be money related or is no, it anything? Oh, it shouldn't be money related unless you happen to be obsessed with something money related. Oh, I I am obsessed with what an utter clusterfuck Burning Man turned into. I cannot <laughs> stop. I Wait, cannot stop what happened? I haven't even seen this. Oh, so it rained in the desert. Okay, okay. Uh, you know, like a like hundred year flood level rain. Oh my and gosh. so the desert just turned into like world war one level trench mud. Oh God. And so the Reno Gazette journal has been my new best friend because their coverage of burning man was just beyond belief. So I can't stop looking at For the, like, the photos of People stuck in the mud, okay. RVs stuck in the mud, <laughs> like uh, just what an absolute cluster Burning Man turned into, which conceptually, Chloe, I have no issue. If people want to go weird, be weird out in the desert and sure. wear LED cover clothing, yeah. like you do you, baby, free spirit all the way. I have a huge issue with what they've done to the land out there yeah. and how they're like abandoning RVs and I have a huge issue with the Silicon Valley like bros that are going up there with all of their money and then just like abandoning trash on the land and, and things like that. So I have been obsessed with the Burning Man. It's kind of like the, the fire festival, how everybody was obsessed oh, yeah. with like the disaster of the fire festival. Only this time it's like Mother Nature being like, no, thank you. No gracias. I'm looking at photos now uh, and I'm just like, oh my uh-huh. gosh. I know oh, it's like gosh. a train wreck and I cannot look away. And Chloe, you're probably going to get some burner haters in the comments probably, probably. Of, this, of this podcast. But you know what, burner haters? If you left trash out on the playa, that is bad. And you need to get back on board with Leave No Trace. Yes. Yes to that. Heck yes. Oh my yeah. gosh. Wow. 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 That's a lot of mud. 
Yeah. I'm just like Uh looking at these photos. I had no idea. I did see TikTok had sent me like a TikTok of somebody joking about Burning Man, but it wasn't so much. It was more like a joke about what Burning Man is and things like that. But yeah, that's I didn't realize the reason that it was trending is because of this disaster. Well, I think kind of like everything, it sort of has evolved into something very different than just like the, Coachella and yeah, a hundred percent. It's more of a, like a consumerist thing than what it started as. It's like taken on a, a corporate form almost a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like your original mission is gone when Mark Zuckerberg is like advertising that he's going to Burning Man. <laughs> yeah. I think you're probably right. I think you're probably yeah. right. So yeah. too funny. That was not what I was expecting. The glee, <laughs> the like the mischievous glee on your face. Everybody will see it. Awesome. Well, thank you. I had no idea. <laughs> Keeping me up to date on life events and news. <laughs> <laughs> I Shout can't out. stop. It's such a train wreck. <laughs> oh my God. Shout out to the Reno Gazette. I think you said it was called Gazette is Gazette su- journal. <laughs> like the Gazette is such a small town, like small town newspaper, like word, like you immediately yeah. think I have a very visceral image of what that looks like. <laughs> oh, their coverage was fantastic. So uh, way to go, Reno Gazette journal. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the money bear podcast. If you've made it this far, do us a favor, take two seconds, rate, review, and subscribe. It seriously means the world to me. And if you just take a sec to do that, I will appreciate you endlessly. And if you do, let me know on Instagram and I'll thank you personally. So got that. And of course, since we were talking about anything financial on this show, please note that nothing on this show is intended as financial advice. I don't know you, unfortunately. And because of that, I cannot tell you what to do with your money. You got to work with a financial professional who knows your situation, who is preferably a fiduciary. And keep in mind that everything that we talk about on this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It's all my opinion. So there's that. If you want to see our full terms and conditions, head on over to the show notes. And while you're there, we've got free resources for you to get started on your money journey down in the show notes as well, including a free guide to help you with your budgeting templates and budgeting tutorials and investing 101, understanding the different accounts that are out there. All that good stuff is inside of my free guide, which is also available at thelazyinvestorscourse.com slash so If you're ready to take our relationship to the next level, I am also hosting a monthly investing class. And that investing class, you can find the times we're offering it this month at thelazyinvestorscourse.com slash webinar. That link is in the show notes as well. And that's where you have the chance to meet me live and ask those money questions live. It's a good time. We've had over 20,000 people as of recording this join or register. And uh, yeah, it's always nice to meet you guys. So I hope to see you there again. All that is available down in the show notes. So thank you again for coming and listening. I appreciate you and I'll see you next week. <laughs>